you would please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 15 through verse 22. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. The word of the Lord says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me? You hypocrites, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. We find a text that uh, might be uh, very familiar to us, especially rendered to Caesar what is Caesar's. I pray now that your spirit would work in our minds and our hearts to take a passage and that we can see it anew and that we can understand it, not just to understand the history, but to put it into practice, to live it out. Father, that is something that only through your spirit through the word can do. And I pray that uh, that end will be accomplished, that we'll look more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. It's, it's very interesting to see the interactions that happen between these individuals and with Jesus. Uh, Jesus acts according to godly principles, and that's what we see is that he acts according to Godly principles, those principles that you would find in the scriptures. Where on the other hand, you have some individuals and they are acting uh, based on their desires. What do they want? What would they like to see accomplished? And they're opposed one from the other. As we look at this, you, you see that a trap is being set. There, there's a trap being put. The Pharisees come and, and they plotted together. And that word plotted, uh, carries this idea of um, taking a council together to be able to talk, to interact, to be able to make some type of plan, some type of decision. But it's being used in a negative sense because their purpose in their council together is to trap him, to ensnare him. Now, um, if you're trying to trap an animal, you, you would use different types of traps. You, you don't use what you would try to trap a fox uh, if you're going to try to trap a moose, uh, you know, you use different things. And uh, from what I understand, uh, you can use different types of bait for, for fishing uh, as well, depending on what you're trying to get. And here they're wanting to get Jesus, and, and specifically, they're looking to trap him in what he has said, his, his words. Uh, they're trying to get something that he said that they can use to be able to talk, to show the multitudes that this guy is not who he is. 
Uh, we, we've seen this type of interaction if you <laughs> uh, watch any type of news where they take um, one politician, something they say, they, they cut one little blurb, you know, remove it from all of its context, and then put that on the front page, and they then say, look how terrible this person is, right? You know, they just, they just look at this, and of course it is true that the person said that, but they devoid all the context, and this is what they're wanting to do. They, they want to somehow trap Jesus in what he is going to say. And to do this, um, it says they sent their disciples to him. That's the disciples of the Pharisees, and we've been looking at the Pharisees now for a while. They're a group of individuals who are very zealous, very determined to see Israel follow the law. Uh, if you remember, Israel in the Old Testament kept on going away from the law because they kept on going after idolatry. And eventually they ended up being deported out of Israel because it was a punishment God had for Israel. To somehow try to avoid this, they were very harsh on the people and they put laws upon laws and traditions upon traditions hoping that somehow on the exterior they could uh, be pleasing to God, that they could be uh, showing to be faithful to the Lord because they didn't want to be deported again. But in their motivation of not being deported again, they ended up totally losing the, the individual's heart. They, they put no attention on the individual's heart. They just looked at the exterior and tried to conform the person's exterior to what they thought would be appropriate, something that would honor God. Now, we see that their disciples come to Jesus, but not only them, but the Herodians. And there's not a whole lot that's written about the Herodians. Uh, who are they? You can assume by the name that somehow they are partial to, that they hold to uh, Herod. And maybe in holding to Herod, they also uh, like the power and the prestige that Rome gives to them. If you are going to have to pick sides, uh, do you pick the powerful nation side or the weak nation side? It seems like a no-brainer. Let's, let's go over here to the powerful nation side. Yay, let's all win together. And, and it seems that uh, the idea of power, of strength, has uh, seduced them to a certain part where they have uh, aligned themselves with them. And both of these individuals, have, uh, these groups, have come up to Jesus. And they, uh, they want to ask a question. Now, you have these two groups. Uh, how can you answer a question that these, uh, these individuals want to ask? For one part, you have individuals who are very zealous for the law. They care about the law. On the other side, you have people who care about Rome and the power that, that Rome gives. Any question that you ask is either going to offend one group or the other group. There's no way to really make them happy. And, and as they're coming together to consult, it, it's interesting that they consult amongst themselves, but we see them spend no time in praying. You, I mean, you see the text, they're, they're not asking the Lord. They really just don't care what the Lord has to say about this issue. Because God would say, listen to Jesus. But that's not what they want to do. Their, their heart does not long for God. Therefore, they don't care what God has to say on this issue. They rather do what they want to do. They're motivated by their desire. That's what's pushing them forward. Oh, they might seem very pious. They might seem very humble, somebody who wants to uh, know God and follow after God. But they're not praying. They're consulting among themselves. 
They don't want to know what God has to say about this. And so they come to him and they say, teacher. This isn't the word for rabbi. It's another word. They're acknowledging him as somebody who has vast amount of knowledge in this area. Teacher. Someone who can teach them. And he says, uh, we know that you are truthful. Wow. They must think he's sliced bread and they're just buttering him up, right? We, you know, you're truthful. You're somebody that uh, looks at something that's false and then looks at something that's truth, and regardless of the situation, you will choose truth over something false. And not only that, but you teach the way of God in truth. Oh, huh? Well, this is just, I mean, this lathering it on. He's a teacher. He knows truth. Not only does he know truth, but he teaches the way of God. Do they really believe this? Do they really believe that he teaches the way of God? They seem to be so antagonistic against him. The implication would be that they're against then the teachings of God. And then they says you defer to no one. You take no partiality in anyone. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be a king. It could be a priest. It could be the high priest. It doesn't matter who it is. You show no partiality to anyone. And that's the type of judge you want to have. If you want somebody making a decision, you don't want them to be partial to anybody. You want them to give a, a truthful answer. And not only do they not defer to anyone, you are not uh, partial to anyone. And that one has the idea of you don't look at the surface of something. You don't look at the face of something. Uh, you go past the, the face and you look at what's going on inside. In, in Venezuela, there's a road that connects between Puerto Ordaz and uh, a little town, oil town called El Tigre. And as you go along that road, it's a little two-lane road, you're going to El Tigre, uh, there are these houses that you can see, if you look at the front part, it's just big, two-story homes. The wall in front of it is, is massive and it's got columns and the, the, you see it, I mean, it just looks, these people have money, lots of money. But if you look at the side of the home, you can see that it's just the front part that is finished and the rest of the home is not finished. And, and you could look at the front of it and say, wow, these guys must be so rich. They really have gotten into the oil business and they've made some money. But as you go into the house, you see it's not finished. It's not finished at all. And this is what they're saying, that you don't just look on the surface. You go deep down inside and look at what's going on, the motivation of the heart of why a person does what they do. Now, do they really believe this? I mean, they're coming to Jesus to be able to entrap him, to, to get him, to trick him, to be able to use his words against him. But they're lathering all this on him. Verse 17 uh, says, Tell us then, what do you think? What do you consider? Because in their question, they're assuming you have considered this, you have thought this through, and you have an authoritative uh, answer to what I'm about to ask you. Is it lawful to give the poll tax to Caesar or not? Now you want to talk about a hot topic issue. There were different taxes that Jews had to pay. There was a, uh, an offering or a tax, you could call it, that was supposed to be given to the temple. They were supposed to be giving money to, for the upkeep of the temple. But then, uh, since they were under the control of Rome, 
There was also the necessity to pay uh, taxes for the use of the roads, uh, for buying and selling. They used uh, the charge taxes for fishing, for everything. They would have a tax. And on top of that, there was another tax, which was a tribute to Caesar, and it was a, a denarius. It was the amount of a denarius. And they're asking a hot topic issue because two decades earlier, there was somebody that tried to revolt against this ta uh, tax, and uh, Rome came in and uh, in a day, in a day, squelched it, just put an end to it. Uh, it started off with loud voices and stuff in the morning, and by afternoon, it was just calm and quiet. In the year 66 AD, there was somebody else who decided to, uh, so about 30 some odd years after this week, somebody else tried to come in and do a revolt, and that's when Rome really had it with uh, Jerusalem, and then in year 70, they came in and, and leveled the city. They're like, we're done with this. Uh, so this idea of this poll tax was a very hot topic issue. Now, on one side, you got the Pharisees and their traditions and their laws, and uh, then on the other side, you have the Herodians, who seem like they are on the side of Rome and the power that Rome gives. And they want to know, what about the poll tax? Should it be given or not? Uh, should we just be serving the Lord and, and giving to the Lord? Or should we also be paying this heathen uh, tax to this uh, heathen uh, emperor and his government? There's the trap. How do you answer such a thing? What, what side do you pick? What, how do you answer this? I mean, there's the trap that's being set for Jesus. Now, Jesus, uh, he's uh, very, very wise. He sees the trap way before the trap is put. And verse 18 says, But Jesus perceived their malice and said. So he is able to know, he sees what they're doing, but he is able to look past just the words and the actions that they're doing and to see what's motivating their hearts, what's pushing them forward. And as he looks at them, he sees that there is malice. They have a, a wicked intention, something their intent has no worth in it. It's wicked because it has no worth for God. It's, it's wicked. And he calls them, uh, as it says, uh, why are you testing me? Why are you trying to put a test on, on me? Hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite has just this idea of a person who is an actor. It wasn't used in ancient Greece as something negative, per se. As you see the, the theater and the people played, they uh, would pretend to be different characters. The men would ha have a mask to be happy. they have another mask if they were playing a girl's part. They would have a, a mask to be sad. And, and they were pretending to, to be these things. Uh, it wasn't something negative, but the way that Jesus is using it here is that they are, it's negative. They are acting very holy. They're acting like they're on the side of God. Their words exalt him as the teacher, the one who knows truth, the one who teaches God's truth, his way, someone who has, who, who knows. But their heart is saying something else. It, it's going against them. And it says, verse 19, he says, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. I didn't get the reaction I was thinking I was going to get. Let me try that one more time. Show me 
the coin used for the poll tax, and they brought him a denarius. <laughs> Still not getting okay. Okay, let, let's uh, let's look at this. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter five. We go to Deuteronomy chapter five. I'm the worst at uh, doing stuff like Bible drill. Uh, it takes me forever. Look, I finally made it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter five, in, in verse eight, it says, "You shall not make for yourself an idol." or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. They're not supposed to have anything that has images. Not of heaven, not on earth, not below the waters. Nothing, no images. But here they have a denarius. And the denarius has the face of Caesar on it. And on the denarius it says... Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Wow. Talk about an allegiance to someone else. They've, and, and they've got this coin. Also on the coin, it considers the Caesar the high priest of the divine Augustus. You want to talk about hypocrisy. Here they're asking about the tax, and they've got this coin in the temple grounds that has an image on it. You're still not getting it? It's hypocrisy. They, they've got this coin that has the image. They're worried about should you give to Caesar, and here they've got this idolatrous thing that God has said, don't do. But they've got it in their pocket, and they pull it out and they show it to them. And you say, well, what else are they supposed to give it? Well, you know, that's what Caesar required. They, they must have had to have this. No, the denarius was minted in, in Lyon, France, but also was minted a copper coin. It had no uh, emblem of a person's face. It did not say that he was the high priest. It did not say that he was the, the divine, the son of the divine Augustus. It was a copper coin that could be used as a substitute because Rome knew that there were some people who were religious and sensitive about that. But they don't have the other coin. They've got the denarius. You want to talk about hypocrisy. They're asking about, should we be giving this or not? And they've got stuff that implicates them in idolatry. Oh, it's sad. They could have had another coin, a coin that wouldn't impl implicate them at all. And, and look what he asks. He says, uh, he says uh, verse 20, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, <clears throat> Do you have a halt? Anybody have a halt? <clears throat> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Can you imagine having to say this? Caesar's face is on it. We have it on the temple grounds. We have it here with us. And we're asking you to implicate yourself. They are guilty. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad to see them like this. I would have been so embarrassed. I would have not have been the one. I would have felt that coin and just moved my hand right back out. Like, does anybody have a coin? No coin, huh? They've got it there on the temple grounds. And they say it's Caesar's. They say to him, uh, then he said to them, 
Then render, which uh, render has this idea to give back, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And that render or give back also is, is the verb that dominates the sentence. Therefore, it's applied also to and give back to God the things that are God's. That, that's what they're supposed to do. Give to Caesar those things which are Caesar's and give back to God those things which are God's. Now, how do they end up? Verse 22. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. They had no answer. They saw this going down a lot differently in their mind. They saw this developing a lot differently. I mean, they've got the two groups. If he goes this side, these guys are going to get mad. If he goes this side, these guys are going to get mad. They'll have something to be able to accuse Jesus, but they have got nothing, and so they leave. I think we can apply some things here that are very interesting. The first is that God doesn't care for flattery. Did it change God's opinion, Jesus' opinion, one bet? that they came in with the whole teacher, the know of truth, the, the you follow God's way, and on and on and on? Did he say, well, I'm going to go a little bit easier because they were just so flattery to me? No. Because Christ looked at their heart. Some of us come and we sing songs and we praise and we, we use a whole bunch of flattery. They ask us to pray in public, and all of a sudden our voice changes. We sound like a German speaking English, oh God in heaven. I mean, it's crazy. Does somehow God like, wow, that's amazing. Even though your heart was against me all week, but you pulled out the German accent. I love it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't care for flattery. He wants someone to follow him. To go after him. Yesterday I had this uh, wonderful opportunity of spending some time in the airport. Opal was uh, flying back to North Carolina, and because she was a minor, I was able to go back with her to the gate. And um, her flight was supposed to leave at uh, 1.37. Uh, at uh, 2 o'clock, she was still sitting on the plane. The plane was still there at the gate. They said I couldn't leave until it taxied off. And I said, it kind of looks like it's taxied, you know. Uh, they said, no, you have to stay until it taxis off. So there I'm waiting. At 2.30, all the passengers get off. And there was some problem with the plane. And uh, they had to wait for a plane from Dallas to come so that they could then fly to Charlotte. She ended up leaving around 9.15 yesterday evening. Uh, so we were there, and the situation was uh, a bit... Um, not, not fun, right? You're just there in the airport. You're just waiting. You're supposed to be leaving at 1.37. It's 9 o'clock, and you're still just sitting there you're waiting, right? And uh, there was this uh, lady who had also um, two children that were flying to Charlotte. Um, she had this shirt on that said that uh, God's will is perfect. But I think she might have been uh, in the Navy uh, because she used some words uh, be, to show her disfavor with what had happened to the plane. Uh, words that I won't mention here, but on her outside, you look at her and you say, oh my goodness, she is on fire for the Lord. She is not ashamed to show that she acknowledges God's will is perfect in her life. Regardless of the situation, 
Regardless of the context, she acknowledges that God's will is always perfect until it's inconvenient to her. And then, when it's inconvenient, she'll say what she wants to say and scream at who she wants to scream. And that's the sad part that maybe for us also. Uh, we like to have certain flatteries. Maybe we dress up just, just nice, get everything all pretty, and people say, wow, look at that Christian. Until a circumstance comes in our life that we don't like. And then we're ready to act differently. Because in reality, we don't really care about God. We care about ourselves. They're, they're hypocrites. Now, the um, other thing that we see is that uh, God doesn't like flattery, and uh, Jesus promotes organizing according to likeness. Organizing according to likeness. Uh, my wife, she has organized Leah's toys uh, in bins and has put uh, little pictures in front of them uh, so that you know what goes into that bin. Now, uh, Leah has a wonderful memory. He does. He doesn't have to look at the pictures at all, which makes me think that maybe the pictures were for me to know where the toys are supposed to go. Uh, I do not have a wonderful memory. Leah goes, duh, it goes here. And he's putting, so dinosaurs have a bin, the Legos have a bin, uh, action figures have a bin. Everything has its own little bin where you put stuff. And that's what Jesus presents here. There is uh, a thing that is supposed to be rendered to Caesar. Now, as wicked as Caesar was, Jesus does not take this opportunity to encourage them to overthrow the government. Now, let me just say right here that it doesn't matter how evil governments are, it's God who establishes and God who takes down governments. Remember Israel, how wicked they were? And God brought in Babylon to take them out. And the prophet said, how are you going to use a more wicked nation to judge us? Because God establishes governments and he tears them down when he pleases. He sets one up, takes it down. Sets up another and takes it down. Jesus doesn't take this time to talk bad about Caesar. There is something that's supposed to be rendered to Caesar to give him back to Caesar. And he tells him, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But he uses this idea of likeness and inscription. And we're supposed to give back to God those things which are God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is making humanity, he makes them in his image. We're made in the image of God. And part of being created in the image of God is that we mirror back who God is and by doing that, we act like God, and therefore we glorify God. We glorify God by acting like Him. We're created in His image. The, the plants, the, the carpets, the everything, they don't do that. They don't reflect God's glory back by obeying and acting like Him. But humans, we do. We reflect God's glory back by obeying Him and acting like Him. So everything has its place. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, uh, I make reference to this very much, where God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's work in our life is to make us look less like ourselves and more like Christ. So that my words are less like how I want to speak and more like Christ's words. 
My passions are less my passions, and now I'm more passionate about what God's passionate about. My image goes fading away, and what comes out is Christ. Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's what God is doing in my life. I'm creating the image of God. So you give to Caesar what's his, but I am of the Lord. Therefore, I surrender to the Lord. You are the Lord. Therefore, you surrender to the Lord. Give the money to Caesar. Give it back. But your life is God's life to be using for him. Now, there is this, uh, we just went through the text, and we kind of looked at the meaning of everything, and uh, everything's pretty clear, right? You all would nod your head and say, yes, the passage is very clear. But there is something here in the literary context, as in where this passage appears, that I think is important to look at before we just, we just finish. Uh, there's a uh, joke of an individual, we'll call him Paul. Paul ends up going to the theater to watch one of these westerns, right? And uh, the next day, he, uh, John comes to him, we'll use John and Paul, and John comes to him and says, hey, Paul, I, I would really like to invite you to, um, to go watch this Western. It just came out. And, and Paul says, oh, I, already, I watched it yesterday. He says, well, I'll, John tells him, I'll pay for, the, the, for you to get in and uh, buy you the drink and the popcorn. And, and that way I'm not going by myself. We can have a time of, of talking you know, before the movie and it'll be fun. We can do this together. He's like, I already watched the movie. I don't want to go see it again. And he said, come on, we'll, we'll do it. And so finally, Paul goes to go watch the movie with, um, with John. Well, uh, as the movie's progressing, there's this scene where the cowboy, the main guy with the big white horse, you know, he's got the big mustache and everything, he's coming down the middle of the town. And uh, Paul turns to John and he says, I bet you five bucks he won't go into the bar. John's like, what? You saw this movie yesterday. He's like, yeah, yeah. I bet you five bucks he won't go into the bar. He's like, you already know what he's going to do. How are you going to bet me? I mean, here, just take five bucks. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to take it. I want to bet you five bucks he's not going to go into the bar. And John's really upset now. He's like, he's paid for him to get in, popcorn, soft drink. Now he wants the five bucks from him. And so he says, fine. So here comes the cowboy. He stops right in front of the bar, gets off the horse, ties the horse up starts walking up, and lo and behold, he opens the doors to the bar, and he walks in. And John's like, what in the world? You just saw this movie yesterday. Did you forget or something? He goes, no, nah, man. I thought with how they beat him up yesterday, he would have not have gone in today. Sometimes you see something once, and you think, there's no way someone's going to do that again. There's just no possible way that someone would do this a second time. And as we look at this literary context of where this passage uh, appears, there's a key adverb that's translated in, in verse 15. It's the first word if you're using the New American Standard. It's then. Then. As in, Jesus just got done talking of three parables. 
Then they want to take a plot to see how they can entrap me. You're like, what? What? Then? That's not the natural response to Jesus telling them about God's grace, God's mercy. Here's these individuals who reject the invitation into the wedding, and he sends a second time to go get them. And they reply with, then the Pharisees plotted together to trap him. See, in the literary development of this, it shows just the hardness of their heart. They have no desire to seek after God. In fact, uh, they, they don't want anything to do with him. And I think what this passage shows us is that Christians must live for God by humbling, repenting of their way and wholeheartedly live for God. So there's the understanding of, of those verses, but as we look at it in the broader literary context, there's just a hardness on their part that they should repent of. Because that's what Christians do. They repent. They live for God by humbly re repenting of their way and wholeheartedly living for God. They are hard-hearted. They, they don't care about what Jesus is saying to them. They want their way. So even though they're dressed up very nicely, even though they have the right vocabulary, at the end of the day, they want their way, and they're not going to submit themselves to God. There's an old poem that says, only two choices on the shelf, choosing your God or choosing yourself. Every day you win or lose, it all depends on the one you choose. Only two choices. You can please your God or you can please yourself. And obviously, they care more about themselves than about God. Now, here we are coming at the end of our service. Don't say amen. Don't say amen. We're coming at the end of our service. And see, it's at this point right now that we're about to enter the then stage for you. Because as we close our hymnal, close our Bibles and get done with our song, that's when it's going to depend what your then is going to look like. For some of you, your then will acknowledge the hardness of your heart and you'll repent. For some of you, your then, after seeing this text, will say, be merciful to me, God. I'm a sinner. And you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. For other of you, though, the then will be just like the Pharisees. You'll have this encounter with the Word of God. You'll close your Bible, get in your car, go to the restaurant, and you'll live the whole rest of your week like if you hadn't heard a thing. And that will be your then. That will be your then, how you live it out. I, I don't get to decide what your then is going to look like. That's you. You will decide what that will look like. Here they hardened their heart because what did they do? After hearing this, they were amazed. And leaving him, they went away. No change in their heart at all. No repentance, no seeking after him, no begging for mercy. And unfortunately, some will be that, that will be their then also. Some seated here today, that will be their then. Now we see the hard-hearted men, but we also see a patient God. Here in exposing this, 
in telling them that uh, you give to Caesar what's Caesar and you give to God what is God, you see a patience for them who are ungodly. Now let me say that if you are a child of God, God has unlimited patience because he has unlimited grace for you. He knew all the sins you have committed, you are committing, and you will commit, and Christ's death paid for all of them. But some might be here that have never accepted Christ as their Savior. Some might be here who have never, and his patience is not unlimited. There will be a judgment. There will be a time where he will judge those who keep on rejecting. When is that time? I don't know. I don't pretend to know when that time will be for you. But you're not guaranteed that you can repent at a later time. That at another time in the future you can, can then turn to God. That right now you just want to live for yourself and enjoy life. You don't have that guarantee. As we look at this, Christians must live for God by humbly repenting of their way. And wholeheartedly live for God. We see this patience on God's part. And we have to ask ourselves, what will be your then? Will your then be involved uh, of continuing to seek after God? Continuing to repent, continuing to serve, continuing to learn about God, surrendering daily your life? Some of you can't do that because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's never been a moment where you have recognized that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. And there's nothing in the world that you can do to Get one step closer to God. But it's only through accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, dying for your sins, putting your faith in his death, in your place, as the only thing that can save you. For some of you, that then is accepting Christ. For other of you, that then is repenting from sin. I don't know it. I don't know what the sin is. But you know what it is. And you're involved with it. And maybe nobody else here knows what it is either. But you secretly keep on doing. Oh, you show up very nicely dressed. You sing the songs, maybe raise a hand or two. But deep down inside, you're just as hard as the Pharisees. And it requires repenting of that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Here we're at this moment of that then. We've seen your word, we've listened, we've looked, we've studied the words out, but now it's the then part. Father, how will we react? How, what will we do? I pray that your spirit would convict of sin. Father, I pray that those who need to repent and believe in Christ as their Savior, that today will be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for those who, who maybe have been living just on the exterior, that they will today repent and live totally dedicated to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. And we're